Hi there, I'm Pastor Rod Parsley, and I sure want to thank you for listening to today's podcast. I'm the senior pastor of World Harvest Church, where we love God and love people, and I hope you'll be inspired by today's message. Now, for more great content and lots of updates, I'd love to connect with you online at rodparsley.com. But right now, let's head into today's episode. Well, I hope you're ready for another great message, I believe, from our eight-part series, Effective Leadership 300, exploring practical and biblical tactics to connect you to your purpose in Christ and the leadership role God is preparing for you. Now, don't forget to request your digital study guide. You can do that at rodparsley.com slash leadership 300. So you can follow along with me or review the material when you finish listening. Everybody stand up and give God a minute of glory. Come on. Hallelujah. Now we have got a long way to go tonight. And uh, we're going to talk about order up. Order up. Say it. Order up. Order up the strength of structure. You may be seated. How in the world would your body look if you had no skeletal frame underneath that flesh suit of yours? That's the way a lot of leadership, unfortunately, is. It's all makeup and powder and hair dye and not much substance, not much, not much strength behind it. Let's start in, and I'm telling you, we're going to fly tonight. Are you ready to fly? No, are you ready to fly? Because I got behind last week and I am intending on getting caught up. Grammar lesson number one, survey says, the difference in commonly confused words. Should you use conversate or converse? Neither. First of all, conversate is not a word. And the word converse is considered terribly archaic. You should use the word conversation or the words discuss, discussion, or disgust. Not D-I-S-C-U-S-T. Disgust. D-I-S-C-U-S-S-E-D. Yes? Disgust. Say, we discussed it. We had a discussion. Let us discuss the matter. You see, not let us conversate. Let us discuss the matter. Let me give you a quote. The true representation of your character is not how you respond on the mountaintop, but how you respond to the raging fires and floods of life. Are you glad you're a first responder in the glory of God? Scripture number one, 2 Samuel 12, 20. Then David arose from the earth just shove your neighbor right there. Just tell him, get up. Get up. Come on. Repent. Being on the floor face first is a good place for repentance. You've done that. It's time to get up. It's time to move forward. So David arose from the earth. He washed himself and anointed himself. He changed his apparel and came into the house of the Lord and worshiped. 
So that's the determination that one must make. You've been through a tragedy, you've been through a trial, you fell down, you stubbed your toe, you kicked the cat, you, you, whatever you did, you kicked the can down the road, you messed it up. Everybody that's messed it up, wave your hand. All right, wave the other hand because you doubly messed it up. When you do that, get up. Just get up. I don't have time to stay there. Judges chapter 6, verses 11 through 15. I always like to give you something from the life of Gideon. The word Gideon means a feller of trees. A feller of trees. Gideon was a good old feller. He was a feller of trees, and we find out that he was a great warrior. He was a feller of men. In other words, he made trees fall, and he made men fall. The trees that he made fall were the Asherah poles, those structures of idolatry. And when we find Gideon in chapter 6, he's threshing wheat in the wine press. Here's what that means. He was in a low place. He was hiding. He was not on the high place. Shove your neighbor, just shout and say, I'm meant for the high place. I'm a mountain dweller. God said he'd make your feet like hinds feet. The ability like, a, like one of those gazelles to leap from mountaintop to mountaintop. If you're in a valley, how many of you have been in a valley? Well, if you're in a valley, wherever that is, in your professional life, in your family, in your leadership role, if you're in a valley, here's the reason you're there. There's a giant there. Here's your instruction. Get him killed and get on up out of there. You're not, a, you're not a valley dweller. You don't dwell in the valley. Anytime you find the adversary, you find him in the valley. He's supposed to be under your feet. I'm not supposed to be preaching, but I'm feeling a preach coming on. Somebody just say, every enemy, every adversary has been conquered and controlled. And the only reason for me to be in a valley is to defeat the giant that I know is there. God sent you on an assignment. If you find yourself in a valley, sling that slingshot, my dear brother and sister, slay that giant, take off his head, and get on up out of that valley and get on the mountaintop. Gideon's problem is he was in the wrong place. Oh, that speaks to our leadership, doesn't it? Remember two weeks ago, I taught you one of the main characteristics of a leader is to find, to get the right people on the bus, right? Assemble the right team, get the right people on the bus. But once you've gotten them on the bus, you've got to find the right seat to put them in. So Gideon was out of place. Saul, who was to be ordained king of Israel, was in the wrong place. He was out looking for asses. I'm not going to go any further than that right there. I said he was out looking for asses, your Bible said. And the man of God found him and said, quit looking for those asses of your fathers you've been looking for because that's not your destiny. Your destiny is not to chase from behind. Your destiny is to lead. I dare you to shout, I'm a leader. So that was Gideon's problem. He was out, he was out of place. Leadership is always accomplished within the context of an organization, now that can be a family, it can be a committee, it can be a ministry, it can be a work team, it can be an entire organization. What the leader does 
within the context of that organization is what we commonly refer to as the hands or the public behavior of the servant leader. So we want to see what your behavior is within that organization. And that is what puts your feet to your message. Do you understand? It's what, it's what the determination of your behavior is or is not within whether your behavior is or is not comparable to the ministry of Jesus or the leadership that Jesus would promote. Much of the leader's work with those they influence can be described as performance coaching. Now we're going to spend a minute here, so just say that those two words with me. Performance coaching. Some folks have likened it or called it life coaching, but let, let, let's, let, let's not call it life coaching. Let's call it performance coaching, and it consists of three elements. Number one, performance planning. Performance planning. How do I match the work as closely as I possibly can to the individuals who are available to me under my leadership's strengths and personality styles and passions. So it goes again to finding people's strengths, getting them in the right place on the bus, getting them in the right bus and going the right direction. Secondly, day-to-day coaching. Now here's where we're talking about ongoing monitoring. Oh, those under your leadership will not like this and you have to train them to like it. You have to train them to embrace it. You have to train them to love it because it's ongoing monitoring of work and progress. Works and progress. You must monitor day to day what work is being done, what progress is being made, and how those under you or assigned to you are accomplishing those tasks. Here's something I want you to underline. I don't want you to ever forget it. It is true in every single aspect of life, whether you are a housewife or you are the CEO or CFO or the COO of a Fortune 500 company. It is this. You get leaders what you inspect. You never get what you expect. You must monitor work and progress on a day-to-day basis. You never get what you expect. You get what you inspect. So when you have those that you're in leadership over and you say, make sure that the boxes with the red labels get on the blue truck. And when the boxes with the green labels get on the orange truck instead, you can't sit back and say, well, I told them to put the right boxes on the right truck. You don't get what you expect. You get what you inspect. Touch somebody and say, check your work, then check it again, then check it, and then check it one more time. And after you're done doing that, after you finish that, then make sure you check everybody else's work and then check their work again and then check their work again because you're not finished when you finish checking your work. You're not shouting at me no matter what. Number three, performance evaluation. A review of progress 
results and adjustments that need to be made. So those are the three aspects. Now that last one requires a significant investment, actually all of them do, investment of time in every individual that you are stewarding. It takes time. It takes an investment. This is where many, many leaders have a tendency to cut corners individually and institutionally. They want to just give out orders, give out orders, give out orders, give direction, give direction, give direction, and do no follow-up and do no day-to-day monitoring. And then what happens, you get a month down the road and a problem that was a molehill has now become a mountain. Do you understand? That's why it's important day to day. The goal of a leader should be to have all of those following succeed. So set expectations and then monitor them, monitor them before the problem occurs. This is, it's especially critical to communicate what success looks like. You need to, to share with those that you've been given leadership responsibilities over or stewarding responsibilities over. You need to show them, tell them what success looks like. If you want them to turn out, if you want your children to make their bed, put their toys away, and wash the dishes, then you have to share those expectations with them. If you want them to give the quarterly report on the 10th of the month, you can't wait till the 15th of the month and then say, where's the quarterly report? Do you understand? Okay, otherwise, (laughs) otherwise, believe me, I got a witness. Somebody is gonna get frustrated. Normally, it will be you. People need to know what's expected and what happens when that expectation is fulfilled or met and what happens if that expectation is not met. There must be consequences and benefits. Say consequences, benefit. Bad news, good news. Reward, you're fired. You must communicate those expectations. Husband, if you and your wife have an agreement that dinner is gonna be served for your family at such and such a time, and you, the husband, are supposed to have it prepared at five o'clock. Why are you looking at me funny? Then those expectations must be communicated. Yes? And then you have to discuss, okay, what's gonna happen if that doesn't come to pass, and what's gonna happen if it does come to pass? How you work with others or the hands of servant leadership is what is inextricably linked to your convictions in regard to servant leadership. They express two main approaches to leadership. Both are expressed in the acronym EGO, E-G-O, EGO. Everybody know what EGO is? All right, EGO. The first one is edging God out, E-G-O, edging God out. Those leaders are driven to protect what they believe and their position and their standing. 
what they own. It's essentially a self-serving leader. Secondly, EGO, exalting God only. These leaders are called to act as the steward of their role and realize it's been loaned to them. In other words, your, your, your position of authority or leadership, if you will, is on loan to you because you are a servant leader. Now, there are some ways to tell whether or not you are edging God out. Here, here they are, edging God out. Someone or something else is on the throne of your life and God has been moved to the guest room. God, the things of God have been moved to the guest room. God is saying to every one of us, as he said to Gideon with the Asherah pole, Gideon, I've called you to take 300 men and be one of the most exquisite leaders the world has ever seen. But you are never going to be that leader, Gideon, until first you become a feller of trees. Until first you tear down the idols. Until first you destroy the idolatry in your life. Until first you come clean with God and say, you're not first in my life. I'm not even sure you're making the top 12. You must clear the stage. Anything I want with all my heart, even a position of leadership, is an idol. Anything I cannot live without is an idol. Anything I cannot stop thinking of is an idol. And God says to every one of us, if you want to lead like the greatest leader ever deposited on this people planet from over the ethereal sapphire sill of heaven's gate, Jesus of Nazareth, the first thing you're going to have to do is get rid of the idols. Some folks treat God like he's the family pet. We want God domesticated and there for our enjoyment. That's idolatry. Secondly, what's your source of strength? Is God your source of strength as a leader or your own resources? Whether those resources are financial, whether they're the giftings that God has given you, whether it, it may be those people that you know, who you're connected to. There's only one rock and everything else is sand, my dear brother and sister. If, you, if you're building your leadership standard based on who you know, I can promise you those sands will shift and you'll be left not where you started out to be. If you're trusting in your own ability, those sands will quickly shift under your feet. And here's why. God is never, I feel the anointing of the Holy Spirit right now. God is never going to create a life for you or a leadership role for you that makes him unnecessary. If you can do it all on your own, it's not God to begin with. If you want to be a true leader, 
You're gonna have to learn to lean on the rock that will not roll, that rock hewn out of a mountain that rolled down through Babylon and crushed it into powder and blew it away with one breath of his mighty, mighty glory. What, here's another, here's another question. What makes you feel good about yourself? This is an indicator of whether God's on the throne or you're on the throne. Whether you're a servant leader or you're a leader that wants to be served. What gives you joy? A or B? A, what others say about you. Or B, what God says about you. Which one are you, which one are you out to please? Which one are you out to please? It says a lot about you. Self-serving leaders react. Self-serving leaders react. Servant leaders respond. Animals react to situations. Only human beings have the capability of responding. It's a terrible thing that you and I use that ability to respond rather than react as little as we do. We use it far, far too little. Now here are some ways that you can tell if you are ego exalting God only. Number one, are you a worshiper? Are you a worshiper? I didn't mean do you sing songs in church. Are you a worshiper? Do you as Miss Joni that day when I walked in the kitchen and she's standing there with tears dripping off her cheeks and into the dishwater. And I said, why are you weeping? She said, I just realized that washing these dishes, taking care of my children, making our home is worship to God. Now, that's a leader. That's a worshiper. A worshiper. True worship is simply being in awe of God. This is especially necessary in ministry and the danger is that we make worship a clinical experience. We have to have Cameron on the guitar and we have to have Amy singing her beautiful harmony part in the, in the alto and soprano range so beautifully and we have to have Jeremy getting the light show going just right and we have to have the PA finely tuned and we or we can just be in our closet among the shoes. Uh, I feel his presence right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Don't make worship a clinical experience. Secondly, if you've got, if you're exalting God only, you should always be able to answer. I love this. You should always be able to answer. Uh, what did God do for you today? What did God do for you today? What did you hear him say today? How did he touch your life today? What special word did he give you today? What did you discover in prayer today that you didn't have yesterday? Those are true worshipers. Those are truly people who are in the presence of God. I'm not talking about singers of songs. I'm talking about worshipers, people whose lives are worship, people who are exalting God 
only. You should always be able to give an answer to the question, what did God do in your life today? You rely on God alone. Here's why Jesus did. John 15, 19 to 20. Jesus said, truly I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord. You want to be a leader? Here's where you find it. You can do nothing of your own accord. Jesus said, but only what the son sees the father doing for whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater than these will he show him so that you may marvel. Jesus said, I can do nothing on my own. Well, if the son of God incarnate, born of a virgin, could do nothing of his own accord, what in the world are we trying to do? I must remind you, your Bible says, lest the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. We can do nothing. Father, just right now, I don't know that I can teach these folks anything better than full surrender to your presence, to clear the stage, to tear down the Asherah poles and say we can do nothing without you. But don't end your prayer there. You're not without him. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. Therefore, he says to you this very night, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Nothing without him, but everything with him. I wish you'd just for a minute, just help a preacher and just give him praise right now. I can do nothing without him, but bless God, I can do anything with him. He quickens my mind. He touches my heart. He increases my intelligence quotient. He gives me witty dreams and magnificent inventions. He shows me things that I couldn't know. He lets me look behind the veil. He gives me intel from a heavenly source. Oh, I don't want you to think. I don't want you to think you can get what I'm sharing with you right now at some business seminar somewhere. No, we're way beyond that. If you want to be a leader, you're a kingdom leader, and you have tapped in to something far beyond what any leadership seminar could ever tell you outside the realms of being a worshiper of God. Hallelujah. 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 I think I'm the only one tapped in, but boy, I'm plugged in right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. If you're working for God's glory, his glory and approval is enough. The question is, do you desire the applause of heaven? or the applause of men. Humility. Do not think less of yourself. Do not think less of yourself. Say it. Do not think less of yourself. Just think of yourself less. That was worth the price of admission. 
God doesn't want you to think less of yourself. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. He just wants you to think of yourself less and use those great giftings and use those great skills to help somebody else. If you will help somebody else, you'll never be looking for a job. Uh, I could just shikamohai right there. Mm. People follow great leaders because they respect them, not because they have a position or a title. Confidence. Now, let me, let me do this. Leaders with humility never have to exalt themselves. Man's gift makes room for him. Nor does a true leader ever have to put anybody else down. Not a leader. You don't have to put somebody else down. You may have to mentor them. You may have to train them. You may have to correct them, but you don't have to put them down. You don't, you don't have an attitude of I'm superior to you. God uses both candles and stars to light his kingdom. I feel God. There is no hierarchy in the giftings and callings of God. There is no big me and no little you. Hallelujah. We're all just servant leaders. Now let me share this with you. It's one of the most important things I think I could, I could ever share with you. Please stop validating yourself. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Wave your hand. I know you're writing, but wave your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Nothing gets on the nerves of a true leader more than somebody that's constantly attempting to validate their self, themselves. Letting the leader know every breath they've taken for the last year. I'll give you an example. This didn't happen, so I can give you the example. Let's say I'm down here and I'm, I'm ministering to somebody and here comes Elder XYZ in my ear. Uh, this is Betty and Bobby. I visited them at the hospital. What does that have to do with what I'm doing? What are you doing? You're just trying to validate yourself. You're trying to give value to yourself by impressing somebody. You don't have to impress anybody, just be. Just be. People do it in meetings all the time. I will, I, uh, um, don't take credit for things you had nothing to do with. Uh, we, I told you I hate personal pronouns. Uh, we made 129,000 phone calls in two and a half minutes. Who's we? And then the, folks get embarrassed because I say, how many did you make? Well, I mean, uh, the team. No, <laughs> the team. 
you? What did you do? Well, we put out 9,022 million door hangers. Well, I thought I saw you at Steak and Shake. Well, come on, come on, come on. Let me know why I'm at World Harvest. I'm just, well. <laughs> are you having a good time? Well, I am, whether you are or not. Hallelujah. I just wrote that down right before I came in here. Don't validate yourself. Your gift will make room for you. Operate in humility. Let your humility be noted. Let somebody have to tell your boss what you did besides you. Hallelujah. Humility. Humility is confidence. If a sovereign God has placed you in leadership, you know it. You don't want to tell everybody else. You know it. You don't need 42 titles in front or after your name. Uh, I am apostle, prophet, evangelist, uh, pastor. <laughs> my daddy would say, my daddy would say folks that talk like that, they, they wear a big hat, but they don't have any, well, I'd say, I'll say it the way he'd say it. He's from Eastern Kentucky and he was Clyde and you're not, and he didn't care. So he'd say, they like to wear a big hat, but they ain't got no cattle. He says they like to drill with a big auger, but they got somebody else's auger. You understand? Well, if you don't, it'll sink in later. Perspective. You, the perspective of a servant leader is to make every decision that you make, regardless of how minute it might seem, through the telescope of eternity. Can you imagine what the world would be like if every decision you made tomorrow, you made with eternity in mind? That's worth writing down and I'm glad to see you doing it. Hallelujah. That should be our perspective. Forgiveness should be our supernatural reflex that we employ to deal with the mistakes and the errors of others. Three keys that determine if you're edging God out versus exalting God only. Number one, how do you handle feedback? Boy, I love this one. How do you handle feedback? Feedback is the important way uh, that the individuals on the team in the organization get better. If, you're, if you are unwilling to receive feedback, you are never going to progress beyond where you are. God made us, designed us, to be creatures of the process of exchange. We exchange information. The only difference between you and someone who may be perceived to be more successful than you in whatever endeavor you're in is information. God said in Hosea 4, 6, my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. Therefore, if you can learn something that somebody else already knows, you're going to advance. You should always be learning. 
Can you just nod at me? I know you're busy riding and, and, and I'm thankful for it. How do you handle feedback? Well, everybody loves positive feedback. But remember this, don't use false flattery. God hates flattery. Flattery. Flattering is to say someone did a good job and then under your breath say it was miserable. That's flattery. Why? It doesn't benefit anybody. What it does, watch this, watch this, watch it. Doesn't matter if your children, your employees. Somebody will come to me and say, well, uh, so-and-so, uh, are you thinking about giving them an increase? My, my response is no. Why? I'm not going to reinforce their negative behavior. You reinforce your children's negative behavior and they'll grab people's uh, flower pots off the table when they visit at their house and throw them in the floor. Now, Johnny, here, honey, let mommy give you a lollipop to keep you from doing the negative behavior. No, you just taught the child, throw the flower pot in the floor equals I get a lollipop. It's no different in leadership. Don't reinforce negative behavior through vain flattery. Be able as a leader to receive input, to be corrected. I, uh, I, I'll use him as an example. Um, I don't even mind to call his name. Uh, Pastor Ronnie Joe Harrison. I met him uh, through his dad. And he was a, a wonderful young man, beautiful wife, beautiful family. They lived in Oklahoma. I remember the first time I ever met them, I was going on a little bird hunting trip and it was real early in the morning, about 4.30 in the morning. And we pulled up to the apartment where they lived with his dad and my dad and, and Ronnie and his wife, Stephanie, were inside. And Stephanie was peeping out the window because she, she thought it was some big deal to see somebody who was on television, I guess. And she, she looked out through there and she had great respect for me. Well, they came to work for us. And I told him, I said, now, I'm glad for you to come to work for me and I want to train you. I want to help mentor you. I want you to become better. And I said, I will know what I have the first time I have to bring correction or direction. You know what you've got, not when somebody does something right and you tell them they did a good job. You know what you've got when somebody messes it up and then you sit down with them and you say, now this is where you missed it. Here's where the ax head went into the water. And they say, you're right. And I see it and I thank you for pointing it out to me and I'll do my best not to let it happen again. And they walk out of the room and never have one single attitude about it. Others... You have to bring a little correction to them and for the next three months when you see them. Amen? 
You want to grow? All right, then you have to be able as a leader both to receive and to give correction, direction, instruction. Okay, you're not shouting now. I had you in a move of God a minute ago. I just, hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I, I corrected, I had, to, I had to correct Ronnie about something and, and I remember sitting in my office and he sat in front of my desk and tears welled up in his eyes and he said, you know you're right and I appreciate you pointing that out to me and I'll do my best never to let it happen again. And he sure enough did. And I knew what I had. I knew I had somebody I could train. I knew I had somebody that wouldn't pout at me. Like the time he left my briefcase sitting outside the airplane and I took off and I'm at about 1,500 feet and I looked down on the tarmac and there's my briefcase. And I won't talk about the time that he left my underwear. And I sent him out to get some underwear and he went to the corner store and I put them on and I let him go and they went right to the floor. Amen. Well, I don't know what that had to do with anything, but yes, I do. Yes, I do. Constructive or critical feedback is often more helpful because it tells us where we can improve. Everybody wants, that wants to improve, shout, that's me. That's me. Self-serving leaders see feedback as a threat. They're often defensive about it. Constantly make excuses. Constantly blame others. Constantly blame situations or circumstances. Look, if you're 20 minutes late for, you, for work, your employer really could care less why. It, it really doesn't matter. You're just late, right? So you'd be better off to walk in and say, I was late, I acknowledge it, I will do my best not to let it happen again. I'm sorry to have inconvenienced anyone. Not there was a train in Pickerington. <laughs> oh, servant leaders seek out the truth in negative feedback and then use it to improve themselves because they realize their position is on loan. Number two, you can know how to determine if you're edging God out or exalting God only by how you plan for successors. What do you leave behind to others? What's your legacy? And I've got a whole section in here on legacy. I'm not, I'm seeing that I'm probably not going to get to it, but what is your legacy? What are you leaving? Most of us, are only leaders for a season in any given role. Only leaders for a season in any given role. And if God changes your role or someone in leadership over you changes your role, just grow with it. Don't just go with it, grow with it. Amen? Amen. Uh, Self-serving leaders will not spend time developing anyone to take their place because they never want anyone to take their place. 
They have a barnyard hen mentality. Well, this is my role. And yeah, I see that you're uh, a threat. They perceive everything as a threat, not as a, a, as a strength, not as help. Somebody comes along that they perceive has some talent and because they have talent, Don't be that kind of a leader. Don't be that kind of a leader. Look for someone and then encourage them. Hallelujah. Uh, Jesus spent three years developing 12 men to take his place, especially the apostle Peter, James, and John who were next in succession to the apostolic anointing that he was gonna leave on this earth when he was received back to the Father. Who leads, number three, the third key in determining if you're edging God out or exalting God only is this, who leads and who follows? Self-serving leaders decide where they are going and then maybe invite God along for the ride. Hallelujah. I'm full well convinced that about 60% of people pastoring churches, now I speak from my perspective professionally, about 60% of the people attempting to pastor churches have no business attempting to pastor churches. They're actually gifted in a servant leadership role, but ego, instead of exalting God only, they're edging God out and they want to be a big fish in a little pond rather than one of the fish in a great big pond. So ego edges it out. This is true in every form of leadership. Every form of leadership. Servant leaders, servant leaders on the other hand, these, those others, they're like people that come to me and they say, uh, Pastor Rod, uh, uh, my name is Jim and this is Betty and uh, we have decided that it is the Lord's will that we be joined together in holy matrimony and we would appreciate you blessing us now. Well, I'm not blessing you. I didn't have anything to do with your decision. You, you say God said. When you say God said, you X out Rod's input. You're staring at me funny. So, so, so self-serving leaders decide what they're going to do and then they ask God to bless it. True servant leaders find out what God's doing and then feel real privilege for God to let them be in on it. <laughs> they don't need a pat on the back or a position. They don't need to be recognized, regarded, or rewarded. They're just happy to be on the team. Shout, that's me. How am I doing? Hallelujah. Are you learning anything? Are you glad you're here? Servant leaders determine where God's going and then join him and then influence others to do the same. Get this in your head. God is sovereign. 
If he numbered the hairs on your head and he did, he probably knows what you should do concerning more important things. Doesn't he? So it'd be good to consult him, bless the Lord. Leading others is a process of bringing them from dependence to independence. The leader's job is to help everyone succeed. Look at somebody next to you right now and say, I'm for you. I'm for you. I want you to succeed. I want you to be blessed. I want you to find your purpose. My purpose is to help you find your purpose. Praise God. Now see, you all believe that about me, but what about you? Your role is to help, mother, is to help your children succeed. Mm, not in what you want them to do. Dear Lord Jesus, all you have to do is go to a little league ball game and find out all of the moms and dads living their fantasy through their poor, distressed little children. Some dad that never was any good at baseball, yelling and screaming at his little kid who wants to hold a baseball bat about as much as he wants to sprout wings and fly. Well, you didn't take time to find out what his gifts are, what his interests are, what God. I, it didn't make any difference to me if my son ever played football. What are his gifts? What are his talents? People say to me all the time, well, are you, are you helping Ashton realize her ministry? No. I'm helping Ashton realize whatever it is God has for her. That's not my decision. My decision is to find those giftings and then help bring them out. Oh, this is so good. Amen. Uh, there are four levels of skill in the people that you will be given leadership responsibility over. They are these, a novice, an apprentice, a journeyman or woman. Please don't be offended if I use the term synonymously. Journeyman, journeywoman. And four, a master. Jesus transformed the disciples from novices to masters in three years but they were willing to learn. Much like Joseph, his father, had taught him carpentry. Note that you will be somewhere on that skill or on that scale with every skill level. Uh, I, shall I go through? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast forward and I may come back to novice, apprentice, journeyman, master, but I've, I've got a whole lot of information there and I know I'm not going to get through all of it with you in this session. So let me, let me skip past those and I will come back to them later. Let me give you grammar lesson number two from Mr. Webster. Euphemism. Euphemism. Euphemism is a mild or a pleasant word which is used in place of a word that is uh, 
unpleasant or offensive. Okay? So in other words, a euphemism would be so-and-so was eliminated as opposed to they were murdered. That's a euphemism. Okay? Leadership, quote number two, leadership is a potent combination of strategy and character. But if you must be without one, be without the strategy. Norman Schwarzkopf, one of my favorites, with a 45 caliber revolver and a King James Version Bible by his bedside. Hallelujah. Scripture number two, Proverbs 10, 9. The man of integrity walks securely, but he who takes crooked paths eh, will be found out. Leaders must, their most important role is to guide into change. Ah. To guide an organization to change. Change is always difficult. I've noticed this to be true. The only people that like to be changed are babies. They like to be changed. People don't like to be changed. Most of you right now are sitting within two people of the exact same seat you sat in the last time we had this class. We don't like change. We pluck it out, paint it in, puff it up, powder it up, pull it up, snip it off, sew it back, all in an attempt to keep it from changing. Amen? We just don't like change. But change is the process of life. The process of exchange is the process of life. Uh, when confronted with change, most leaders try to communicate by giving the reason or the benefits of the change. But research at the University of Texas says that people want their concerns addressed much differently in regard to change. So as a leader, if you learn this, you'll help folks navigate change much more successfully. Number one, they want addressed the information concerns that they have. In other words, they just, they want information. They want to know what is the change? What's going to happen? Secondly, their personal concerns. Everybody's self-interested. How will this change affect me? How will this change affect me? Third, implementation concerns. What do I and we need to do to accomplish the change that you're proposing? What do we need to do? How's this going to be accomplished? And then lastly, the implementation concern of uh, why. We, we often lead with the why. Thus and so is going to change, let me tell you why. And they don't want to know the why, they want to know how it's going to affect them. You with me? So if we can learn that process when we're presenting change to people, which as leaders, that's our major role to affect change. 
Our major role is to take people from novices to apprentices and get them all the way to masters and then get them all the way to leaders. You with me? All right, so we have to work on change. As a philosophy, modeling Jesus is the only way to lead. It's the only way to lead, modeling Jesus. But as a theology, it's a mandate for every single one of us. There are three perspectives on the importance of servant leadership. Number one, here, well, let, me, let me go here. If you want people to be loyal to you, start by being loyal to yourself. And then be loyal to God. And then be loyal to the truth. And then be loyal to the people you're leading. You want somebody to follow you, they have to see you being a faithful follower. That centurion said, I'm under authority. I say to this man, go and he goes, this man come and he comes. Therefore, I understand authority. Therefore, it's not even necessary, Jesus, you to come to my house. Just speak the word only. You see, he understood. Spiritual leadership is about results and relationships. But Jesus didn't put them in that order. Matthew 6, 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. That suggests that doing right by others is paramount even before getting the optimum result. Oh, I can't believe I just have to keep rattling this stuff out and I don't get any time to expound upon it. The greatest commandment of all, Matthew 22, 37 to 39, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. This is the great and first commandment and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the result is not what is optimum. Doing what is right is what is optimum. Say this with me. You must always do what is right right. Regardless of the end result, you make this your personal integrity. I probably say it 10 times a week to someone. They'll say, well, what should I do about this? Well, if I do this, then this will happen. But if I do this, then they'll think that. None of that matters. What matters is you must do for your own consecration before God you must always do what is right, right, regardless of the result. Uh, you can drive that one home. Do what's right, right. And leave the results where they may fall. But you will go to bed at night with your integrity. And that, my dear brother and sister, is the keystone of true leadership. That one may live 
at peace with oneself. Servant leadership is a commitment to live out the word of God and the will of God in the everyday affairs of life. Leaving others behind who are, quote, not pulling their weight is not servant leadership. It's not servant leadership. The goal is to have everyone on your team pass with flying colors. Now, if they're not passing, check out their fingernails. If they have paws like a puppy dog, do not give them a tree climbing job. We have to do this constantly. Not only in, in, in you know, paid employees, but in, in helps ministers. Sometimes folks, are, they want to sing in the choir with all their heart. And it is just not their gift. <laughs> Bellowing like a Jersey cow. Boy, they want, they want to be in that choir. So our job then is to help them discover what their true gift is so that they can be successful. Right? I mean, you're probably not going to be a successful greeter if you really have difficulty smiling. Glad to have you. So glad you're here. Hope you don't come back. I mean, hope you come back. You're probably not going to make a good usher. If you think everybody that stands up to approach God in worship is, is some kind of ISIS with a knife in their pocket looking for pastor. They're just worshiping. Please don't tackle them. We need you on the football team, not in the usher corps. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you can't compose a letter, you're probably not going to make an administrative assistant. If you can't find your way to the airport, we probably can't use you, right, to go pick folks up. If you can't get the french fries out of the floorboard of your car, so, you know, Darlene Bishop shows up with those spike heels and she shows up on the platform and she's speared three french fries in your floor. It's probably not going to work. Amen. We have, to, we have to help you find your... And everybody has a place. That's the thing. There is somewhere where everybody is destined by God to excel. And it's our job as leaders to help them find that. Amen. Amen. Leading like Jesus, I'm going to close with this. Leading like Jesus can only be accomplished by loving like Jesus. Leading like Jesus can only be accomplished by loving like Jesus. So Father, we just ask you tonight in the name of Jesus to make us servant leaders. 
to make us selfless leaders, to allow you to make room for our gifts and to help others find their fulfillment as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I want to invite you to tell someone in your life about the podcast. Hope you'll do it today. Head on over to iTunes and leave a review. Share it on your social networks for me. Really helps me get the word out. I'd love for you to connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. No easier way for me to minister to you every day and throughout the day and for us to join together in faith as God moves in and through your life. You can find links to all my pages at rodparsley.com. God bless you now, and I hope you'll listen again soon.